On March 8, 2022, while returning from an off-roading adventure in Baja, California, Mexico, I was arrested at a military checkpoint when they found my 40 caliber pistol that I had misplaced in my truck. I was arrested. For the next 58 days, my wife and family were manipulated, extorted, and lied to. This podcast is that story. Episode 2, Cell 305, An Introduction to 18 New Friends. In our last story, I was on the first floor being released from the seven-day holding cell. They stripped us down to the clothes that we came in on, stood us in a line, walked us outside, where everyone got to sit on a red plastic chair. Then they would throw a trash bag over you and shave your head. This was my new haircut. I was lucky enough at this time to not only bring in underwear, but I had thick wool hiking socks. Those might as well have been combat boots. They marched us back in, had every one of us hold our arms out, and they would scribble our new cell number on our forearm in permanent marker. After about 15 minutes, they divided us into what tier we were going to. My new tattoo said C-305. As they marched us up to the third floor, the cell block is broken into two separate sections on a single tier in a linear fashion. The first gate you come to unlocks the walkway that's in front of the first six cells. As we're coming down the hall, the new cellmates are put into their respective cells. My cell is 305. When we enter the gate, the first cell is 12. So I've got seven more to go until I meet my new cellmates. At cell 307, the next gate's there. They unlock the two padlocks on the gate, march me in. They unlock the master lock on it, swing open the door, and I'm placed in my brand new cell. It's clearly overcrowded. One thing I noticed that's different of this cell, instead of six bunks, there are 12 bunks in this cell which means there's pretty much no available floor space. As I go to walk in the cell, I step to the right and back up against the bars because there's four guys on the floor playing dominoes. On the bunk directly ahead of me, Rudy pops up. He's the first one that talks to me. He says, hey, what's up, big homie? Is that all you got? As I'm standing there with fresh hair clippings all over my shoulders and neck in my underwear and my wool socks. I said, yep, this is all I got. Rudy's your typical quintessential Vato from Browley, California. He looks as if he was drawn out of a movie. Across his lower abdomen, tattooed in big 10 inch high letters says Browley. He's obviously from Browley, California which happens to be in the IV, which he has tattooed on each one of his pectorals, Imperial Valley. On his back is your typical tattoo of a bandolero with crisscrossing holsters, a pistol in each hand, a naked lady on each side, 
a rattlesnake in the middle for good measure, and his last name, Pharrell, tattooed over the top of the guy's sombrero. Right out of the gate, Rudy speaks good English. Eddie also speaks English. They both start talking to me, asking me where I'm from, and getting together the necessities that I'll need to shower up. Now, what I brought from the first floor was a toothbrush, a bar of soap, and some toilet paper. Other than that, I'll be in my underwear until my family sends in the clothes that they were instructed to purchase me. The prison provides nothing, just the walls and the meals. Everything else is supplied by your family. As a matter of fact, I mentioned earlier, this cell has 12 bunks in it. The six extra bunks that are in this cell were built by the prisoners that do the construction in the jail. The materials were supplied by the inmates' families so that they could get more of the guys off the ground. As I'm in the cell, everyone's looking at me a little different, mostly because I don't speak any Spanish and I look Hispanic at this point. My head is shaved. I've got the remnants of some sort of mustache growing in, which is the only thing they'll allow you to grow in the prison. Rudy and Eddie collectively put together a kit for me, a pair of cut-off sweatpants for shorts, one pair of boxers, one pair of socks, a fresh pair of underwear, and a t-shirt. Rudy says to me, well, homie, we got a protocol. You want to hit that shower and get showered up right away, man, get all that hair off you so we keep the cell clean. So I'm looking forward to a shower. These guys in this cell, they've got blankets drawn up around the small bathroom notch out out of the 12 by 16 floor space. Now the cell's 12 feet wide and 16 feet deep. Coming off the back wall at about three and a half feet is a pony wall, which is a wall that comes up about 36 inches on one side to keep the bathroom floor separated from the cell floor. Now this particular floor has a pitch to it so the water runs to a drain. In this bathroom, it's been layered with an epoxy coating, so it's really slick. Besides avoiding the athlete's foot, you'll wanna use your chanclas or flip-flops when you use the shower to avoid slipping and busting your head open. There was two incidences of that during my time in there. One was me and one was Peter, but we'll talk about that later. I head in for my nice, fresh, ice-cold shower. It's no different than downstairs. Cinder blocks that have been protruding from the wall in an approximate two-foot deep, two-foot wide section for the sink and about a two-foot wide, two-foot deep block from the ground up with a porcelain bowl in it for using the bathroom. As you're looking at the bathroom, you see the main plumbing come into the wall and it splits into three different lines. One line goes down to the toilet with a ball valve on it so you can turn water on to flush the toilet. The other one branches off to the right and goes over in front of the sink area. The third one goes up the wall, hard left, hits the 90 degree inside corner, wraps back towards you, then up the wall to about six foot six, and then 90 degrees off the wall. So you've got somewhat of a shower head, which is just basically an open pipe. The piping on it says Francisco de Leon. The name on the pipe means that someone's family supplied the plumbing so that the prison would fix it for the inmates. I get in and take a long-awaited shower to get all this hair clippings and everything off of me, still trying to assess what's going on now and wrap my head around the fact that this is now my new world. 
when I get out of the shower, I can tell that Eddie and Rudy are both good guys and are doing what they can to make me feel somewhat at home. As soon as I get out of the shower, there's a short guy who's about five foot one that lives underneath the back rear bunk. He sleeps on the concrete between the first bunk and on the floor. His name's Arena, which is Spanish for spider. Across his back, tattooed real large, is Lopez. And he's got about 50 other tattoos that all look like they were done in prison. Not the best quality either. Arena gets up, heads for the shower after I get out. I come back out into the cell. The four guys that were on the floor playing dominoes have packed up and they're back on the bunks. Usually the floor space is fairly open. One or two guys are on that floor space. I'm back in the small walkway going into the shower area between the bunks that go along the right wall and the bunks that perpendicularly jet out from the wall on your left. As I'm there chatting with the guys and talking, I hear this commotion and I look behind one of the guys I'm talking to. Now I see Arenya and he's butt naked and he's dangling a towel between his legs and he's shaking his butt out towards the rest of the group, making joking, girly kind of noises. And then I think to myself, well, I figured I'd see it sooner or later and didn't know what was about to take place. Then I hear one of the guys tell me, I think it was Julio, tells me, yeah, he's just not all there. This guy's a little bit out of it. I breathe a sigh of relief, thankful that what I thought I was about to witness, I'm not gonna witness. <laughs> it's a different scenario altogether. Arena, if you ask him, has no idea why he's there. As a matter of fact, no one in the cell knows why he's there. I know you guys are waiting on this, so we might as well do a roll call of the people in the room. The two guys that I hit it off with the best were Eddie and Rudy, both guys which would technically be Sereños, Mexicans from Southern California, or American-born Mexicans. I hit it off with those guys first, so we become fast friends, Eddie, Rudy, and Julio. Now, Julio was born in the States as well, but he rides with the Paisans. We'll get to those details later. Eddie was walking across the border and had parts to a shotgun in his pants and a 380 in his pocket. His charge, Arma. He's looking at 15 years. He's been there currently for eight months. Eddie's about 5'8", five, 5'9", five, typical Southern California kind of guy. Got an Aztec tattoo on his left arm son's name, Damien, on his backside of his forearm, and a few other miscellaneous tattoos. As I enter the cell, I can tell that Eddie doesn't take any crap from anybody. Rudy's situation is he had a truck he was bringing across the border that was reported stolen. There was some mess in the glove box. He was arrested, and he's being charged with stolen vehicle and possession or distribution. He's been in for five months, looking at 15 years. Next up top is Peter. Peter got busted crossing the border. He had parts of an automatic weapon in his painting van. Peter speaks a little bit of English. Not a lot of words, but the words he does know, he says them twice. Peter's from San Luis, and he was bringing pieces of automatic weapons across the border in his work van. He's been in for three months at this point, looking at five years. Julio is from El Centro, California, 
currently lives in Mexicali. He was suspected of being in a truck that was pulled over approximately 10 years ago that had 152 kilos of marijuana in it. He had gotten arrested for something else and had given them an address that he was not living at currently at the time. The name on this address was a person they were looking for for those 152 kilos. He's been in there for three months and he's looking at five to 10 years. Pirata is possession of firearms and also 35 kilos. He's looking at five years and he's been in there for four months. It's his first offense. Joshua is from Indio, California. He's being charged with possession and distribution. He was coming across the border to spend some time with his grandfather. He had about a half a pound of weed on him for personal use. It didn't help that he was high when he crossed the border. He's been in for six months at the time that I get arrested, and he's looking at 10 years. He's only 23 years old, and it's his first offense. Pilot is said to be a driver for the Mexican Mafia. He may be the youngest one here, early 20s. He currently has an open wound on his leg, and he's supposed to be getting shipped out for medical soon. He was in an accident that ended up in a driving shootout with the police, and during the process, he had broke his leg. He's been in for six months. He's currently looking at eight years. Juanito got busted for five kilos on his motorcycle, trying to get him across the border. He's looking at 10 years, and he's currently been in for seven months. M30, or Trenta as they call him, he was obviously transporting fentanyl across the border. He had 35 pills. He's been in for 10 months, and he's looking at possibly five years. Winnie was there for driving guns. He got sentenced to five years. He's currently been there seven months. Boyo is also being charged with transport. He was a semi-truck driver and said he had no idea how there were 40,000 pills on his truck. He was possibly going to be sentenced to eight to 10 years. He's currently been in for two years and five months. Cocho is on the front lower bunk by the gate. He's there for drug distribution. He's been sentenced to five years. Now this is the makeup of the cell. I'm lucky enough to be there on a Thursday when we get transferred up. Thursday happens to be yard day. Now yard day is something pretty special. When the guys go out to yard, usually people have put money in their books by then. The most amount of money you can put on your books is $75 or 1,500 pesos. But for 1,500 pesos, you can buy quite a bit of food. A bag of chips costs about 30 pesos. That's a little more than a dollar. Currently, the exchange rate's about 20 pesos equals a dollar. Cookies run about at 30 pesos. You can get a, a meal for about 40 pesos. This meal comes pre-cooked. The big thing to get is tortas, or as we know them, sandwiches. They'll get a ham sandwich or a hamburger, which is mostly bun and a super small patty with fries and nothing's cooked fresh. Everything is cooked that morning of, and by the time you come out to yard, it's been sitting in a styrofoam container the whole day. But hey, it's a whole lot different than eating out of the three compartment Tupperwares that they deliver to the cell at 5, 10.30, and 3.30 for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. On the day that I come in, I'm starving. 
I haven't had my lunch yet because I was being transferred during that time. And these guys all just got back from yard. When you're looking out around the room, you can see clear bags filled with potato chips and cookies and cup of soups. That's right, noodles with cup of soup. We'll get into how we make the hot water later. As I'm sitting there, the guys are like super friendly. And they're asking me, hey, you want something to eat? Did you eat yet today? We just went to yard, so we got tons of stuff. On a day that everybody goes to yard, it's essentially like a free-for-all in a buffet when you get back. Everybody spends all their money, and there's kind of two groups in the cell. I guess I could say it's Rudy and Eddie's group and Joshua's group and the other guys. So two separate groups that kind of pull their supplies together. Soap, shampoo, all the snacks, cookies, chips, and things like that. Another big commodity to get is hot sauce. They have the Amore Picante, which is a nice hot sauce that makes every bit of jail food taste 100% better. But you can't just kick it off with a little bit of hot sauce. You've got to add some mayonnaise. I know what you're thinking right now. Add mayonnaise to what? Add mayonnaise to just about everything. With what they serve us in there, adding mayonnaise and hot sauce gives it some sort of different consistency and adds a twist to a meal that makes it a whole lot better to eat. As I'm sitting there, Trenta says to me, here, you want this? And hands me a styrofoam three-compartment container, similar to what you would get to-go food in your average mom-and-pop restaurant. I'm like, no, I'm okay. He insists that I take it. I open it up. It happens to be machaca meat. Since I've been in prison, I've been focusing on trying to eat low-carb because I'm not really a big fan of the other stuff that they have, which is meaning my diet's cut down considerably in calories. And I open it up and I hit pay dirt. This thing's got a mountain of meat in it and some tortillas. As the guys look at me, as I eat all the meat and offer the tortillas to everybody else as if I'm crazy, I'm more than satisfied of having this machaca, which is basically seasoned shredded beef. I've never ordered machaca before. I always go top shelf and get carne asada, but now I think my new favorite food is machaca. After we eat, I start conversing with the guys and we get the lay of the land. Of course, the first question everybody asks you is why are you here? What are you here for? So I explain my situation and everybody puts on their favorite attorney hat to give me instruction on my case. It's pretty interesting how they do that, but everybody does it. The first question everyone always asks you when they meet you for the first time is, what are you in for? For me, it's ARMA. The next question they ask, what caliber? Then I say, 40. I instantly usually see their face and they go, oh, that's no good. So less than a 40 caliber, a 380, 9mm, or smaller than a 40, is much more acceptable in Mexico. A 40 caliber pistol is considered military grade. Anything 40 caliber and above is only allowable for the military to possess. Usually they'll see this and they'll tell me, well, was it stolen? And then I explain it was my gun. Then they change the demeanor on their face and they say, oh, yeah, maybe you'll get out. Six months, maybe. And then they make their hand in a pinching fashion as if there's a wad of money in between. And they just tell me, you just need to pay. They have a saying in prison, si le pagas al perro, balara. That means if you pay the dog, it'll dance, which basically means you just need to pay your way to get out of here. 
I instantly reply when everyone says that, sure, how much and where? Hopefully hoping that someone will point me towards some sort of ATM or swipe card to get out of there. But I realize my situation's much worse than this based off my second court date and my first court date. And now I've got to wait for the attorney to do everything she can do. What's crazy and different about the first day that I'm there, as I mentioned, it was yard day. The entire cell block is an absolute buzz. The volume is on 10. People are happy. People are talking. And all you can see as you look down the main corridor in front of all the linear cells is piles and piles of trash, of styrofoam containers that the food's been eaten in, and garbage and cup of noodles and all type of trash that needs to be swept up in the morning. At this point, I'm kind of hanging out on Eddie's bunk. His bunk is the far back right lower bunk that will continue from the bunks on your right as you walked in. Because they welded the new bunks to the old bunks, his bunk's about seven and a half feet long on the same plane as the first bunk, and there's respectively a second and third bunk that are welded and extended to the back wall from there. It's real tight quarters, and there's not really enough room to sit up. We either hunch over and hang out in the little bit of a walkway there, or you lean back against the wall in kind of a hunching formation so that you don't hit your head on the bunk above. I'm hanging out, talking to Rudy, talking to Eddie, and we got a lot to talk about. They're telling me about their cases. I'm talking about my case, and they're giving me the lay of the land of what's going on in there. At this point, I'm not super wound up because I realize that it's a matter of time now before I can figure out when I'm getting out of here. Right now, I'm just blown away by how loud it is, how everybody seems to be either eating or sleeping at this point. I look up towards the TV. That's a thin computer monitor style TV, about 18 inches, that's hanging from bed sheets that have been turned into some sort of string that hold it up above the door that opens to exit the cell. It doesn't matter how loud they turn it up, you cannot hear the television. Looking forward toward the cell, where the three bunks abut to the bars, each of those beds have a radial fan that's tied to the bars, blowing cool air on each respective bunk. The air there is not so fresh. Just outside of the cell, Five feet across is the block wall that's the perimeter of the building. About six and a half feet up are cutouts for where the windows were. I say were because a few years back, there was a riot in this prison because they weren't feeding the prisoners. All the windows on our tier were smashed out. Now my window faces slightly east. The sun comes in a little bit, but not very much. The exterior window of the building faces southeast enough for a little bit of light to come in directly, but it's mostly over the building. We get air, but it's not that fresh. See, in Mexicali, everybody burns their garbage. So there's a constant smell of burning trash coming into the building. It does take some getting used to. So talking to Eddie, Rudy, and also Julio, I make fairly fast friendships with those guys. Weto, who's above Eddie's bunk, he's been in for approximately two years now. He was transporting drugs in his Nissan, got caught at the border when they pulled his door panels off and found him filled with kilos of drugs. He's pretty quiet for the most part, doesn't say much. Directly above him is Juanito, who we talked about earlier. Now you're moving forward to the left, looking out the front bars, and on those bunks, starting from the bottom to the top, 
On the concrete sleeps Julio. On the first bunk is Trenta. On the second bunk is Pollo. And on the top bunk is Rottweiler. Rottweiler's an interesting guy. Pretty young, about 22 to 24 years old. Rottweiler is there for possession of firearms. He and his girlfriend were both arrested. He said someone narked him out. The police showed up at his house and caught him with three semi-automatic rifles. He's been in for six months, looking at four years and six months. It seems to me that all he does is eat and sleep. After a few weeks, I asked him why he sleeps so much, and he says he takes sleeping pills after he eats every meal. I was convinced there was no way someone could sleep this much. Across from those bunks is this order starting at the concrete, working its way up. On the concrete is Winnie. Above Winnie is Cocho. Above Cocho is Jacinto. And above Jacinto is Joshua. Now, Jacinto's an interesting cat. He's there for drug trafficking as well. I don't recall having the specific details on his, but I know he's been there at least two years. Doesn't talk too much, and he's clearly OCD. I watch him as he does everything that he does, and he repeats everything in a full fashion of repetitiveness. For example, while I was sitting on Eddie's bunk, which has purview of the bathroom, the bathroom is also where you wash your clothes. Watching him wash his clothes, every sock he washes, he scrubs left to right from top to bottom, and then right to left from bottom to top then turns the sock inside out and does the same thing on all four sides. For him to wash two socks is about a 15 minute project with him. When he hits the bathroom, you're blocking out about an hour and 15 minutes. Usually when you use the restroom, you'll do your laundry at the same time. But let me not get ahead of myself. Let me finish the layout of the bunks. Turning to the right from the left side room bunks, to the bunks that have been welded perpendicular that now sit parallel with the pony wall that's blocking the bathroom. On the concrete, you have Pirata. Above Pirata, you have Rudy. Above Rudy, you have Pilot. Above Pilot, you have Pedro. So that's pretty much the cell layout. Now you're wondering where I sleep. I mentioned it earlier, but I am now the 19th guy in this cell and I'm sleeping up front on the floor in the main floor space of the cell. That space is about five and a half feet wide and six and a half feet deep. Santos, who becomes my cellmate as we sleep in the center of the floor on the open floor space, is being charged with transport. He had 600 kilos he's been in for six months. He's looking at 30 years. Santos is kind enough to lay down his blanket for both of us to sleep on. Now on this concrete, there's a few chunks that never got tooled off and are sitting kind of high. After a while, those will start digging into your body and they don't feel too comfortable. But what am I gonna complain about? At least I've got a place to sleep and I'm not having to share a bunk with everybody. Santos and I sleep in a north-south position. His head is towards the bars and my feet are towards the bars. It maybe wasn't the best decision on my part. There is one light in the cell. That usually goes off at the request of 10 o'clock lights out. But laying in the position that I am, facing the TV, which is above the door that exits the cell, 
there's two huge fluorescent bulbs out in the hallway. Now, when I say two huge, there should be four huge bulbs that work. Only two work, the light fixture's crooked, and most of the other bulbs are burnt out. When I say dilapidated, this place is dilapidated. So as I lay there trying to sleep, I have to cover my eyes because all I'm looking at underneath the television is two fluorescent bulbs, which are blasting me in the face. So between the noise and the light pollution, my first night trying to get some sleep was quite a bit of work. The rest of the night, everybody kind of calms down. And most people at this point start doing some routina. Now, routina is what they call working out. At this point, there's just a couple guys that work out this day. And as I get further familiar with the cell, I join the workout program. I'm an early riser and like to work out early. Most people in the cell sleep till about 10 or 11. Everybody gets up at 5 a.m. That's when they serve breakfast. As the night starts to draw to a close, everyone's relaxing and they start to put on their novellas. That's right. A bunch of hardened criminals in this prison cell are watching soap operas. Yes, I'm just as surprised as you are. As they're watching the soap operas and we're congregating around, everybody starts to ask who's having soup. They take a roll call around the room to see who's having soup. I'm interested as how they're going to heat the water. Don't you worry, here's how they do it. They've got about a three foot section of electrical cord that's stripped on both ends. They have what appears to be possibly a broken nail clipper or two metal tangs that were pulled off of something that are about three inches long, a half inch wide, and they have a hole on each end. One of the frayed ends of the wire gets wrapped around one hole, one gets around the other hole, so now you've got two essentially electrodes that are bare connected to both of your wires that are gonna be plugged into the wall. They then take those two electrodes, they lay them on either side of a piece of foam, possibly an old chancla that's been cut. So now you've got one piece of metal with a hole drilled in it and a wire wrapped through it, a piece of foam flip-flop and another piece. How do you hold that together, you ask? Well, that's easy. They save shrink wrap. Whenever something comes in, it's wrapped in shrink wrap. They unwrap it and they put it underneath their mattress on their bunk, if you're lucky enough to have a mattress. They then take the shrink wrap and wrap it really, really tight around the two electrodes with the foam in between them. Now, in front of the cell, there's a 20 liter cube and that's filled with filtered water. We get the water and pour it into empty two liter bottles of Coca-Cola that they save inside the room. Those are used as cucharas, which are a two liter bottle cut down the center around the midsection, and then you pinch the lower corner so it fits inside the upper half and push it together. That then becomes the place where you will hold all your toiletries, your toothbrush, your toothpaste, your soap. Everyone has one of those stored somewhere in the cell. So when they go to the bathroom, they bring that with them and you've got all your necessities. Now, there's a five gallon bucket that's in the cell that someone paid for. We use the five gallon bucket for washing clothes or flushing the toilet when there is no water. Oh, by the way, after about 8.30 in the morning, there's no water on the third floor because the building doesn't have enough pressure to push it up when everyone's taking showers in the morning. So someone in the cell at some point bought a 55 gallon drum that's back in the corner next to the bathroom entrance. 
making for an eater even tighter quarters. That gets filled daily when the water's running at night and we fill that so that when the water runs out during the day, we can use it to flush the toilet or wash your clothes or take a shower. They'll take the five gallon bucket and fill it up about one third of the way with water. They'll add some soap to that water and then they'll plug in the end of the frayed electrical cord into the wall and drop the two electrodes into the water. How does that boil water? Well, when you electrify the water, over time it starts to get hot. And in about 30 minutes, it'll start to boil that amount of water. You don't want to touch it though, because it's electrified and it could shock the crap out of you. Then they take the two liter that's filled with water, or if they want to warm up their coffee, which they usually pour into two liter jugs that's served in the mornings, they'll take that two liter jug and they'll place it in the hot water. Usually there's two receptacles in the middle of each cell, kind of up towards the top. They're bolted to the concrete with a hard conduit coming into them. There's one on the west side and one on the east side of the cell. Typically they'll put the bucket on the middle bunk and cover it with pillows or clothes or whatever while they run the electrical cord up along the back of the bunk and into the outlet. After about 30 minutes or so, they get the hot water out and pour it into the cup of soups. Now, remember what I said earlier about mayonnaise and hot sauce? Well, if you take your cup of soup and you drink all the water out of it, and then you add some mayonnaise to it, and then you add some hot sauce to it, it's actually a pretty tasty meal that's got a little bit more consistency to make you feel full. Yeah, I know, I'd be thinking it was gross if I was you too, but by the second week, I was all in with mayo and hot sauce on my noodles. So at the end of that first night, I'm still in disbelief that I'm there. Santos lays out his blanket. Someone else loans me a blanket. I then take the extra clothes the guys gave me they also gave me a plastic bag to put those in. I wrapped that plastic bag up around those clothes, and now I've got my pillow. The first night as I try to go to sleep, I can't believe how loud it is in that cell. The guys on the upper bunks, mostly the younger guys, are talking and joking and passing bags of chips that are cut in half across the room, putting hot sauce on them and enjoying their novellas into the wee hours of the morning, about 2.30 in the morning is when they stay up to watch TV. Me, because I usually get up early at home, I've been an early riser for decades. I usually go to bed around 11 or 12 at night. That night, going to bed in disbelief where I'm at, I somehow fall asleep. The next morning, I'm woken up by this noise coming down the hall. I can't figure out what this noise is, but it's something that sounds like a car has been in an accident and it's folded something plastic underneath and it's dragging it down the road. Well, as it passes the cell, I see it's another blue 55 gallon barrel that's been fashioned into a trash can that they push all the way to the end and start sweeping up all the extra trash from the party on yard night the night before. The entire five foot hallway, as you look down all 12 cells, looks like a landfill pile. Styrofoam containers about two feet high in front of every cell, 
cookie wrappers and chip wrappers and things to that extent are all piled out there. So 5 a.m., I'm woken up by the sound of the sliding trash monster. Because I'm in front of the cell, I need to sit up immediately and clear the space because Trenta's hard at work. Trenta's collecting everybody's vasos. That's your cup to drink out of. So he says, vasos, vasos, as they move the cups to the front. And then come the empty two-liter jugs as the first dolly comes down or low boy comes down the cell with about a 50-quart saucepan in it that's filled with coffee. It's got a huge ladle, or if they don't have the ladle, they'll be using a milk gallon that's been fashioned as some sort of scoop. With this, they stop in front of the cells and start to fill all the cups with coffee. The coffee's kind of a clearish brown color. Doesn't look very good. I'm not a coffee drinker, so it doesn't matter to me. But all these guys are going cuckoo for coffee first thing in the morning. I'm still a little groggy and sitting on Trenta's bunk because Trenta, his job is to funnel the food in and the drinks when they come to serve food. They usually rotate that job throughout, but some people end up doing it in exchange for other things. That's what Trenta's deal was. He would do that and people would give him a bag of chips or some cookies just for him doing that work so it wouldn't have to rotate throughout the cell. Sometimes when they did rotate it, it kind of became a bit of a hassle. You could definitely tell the difference if Trenta wasn't doing it. Breakfast comes in and it's usually not anything super appealing. It's either cream of wheat with like half of a mini apple. Some days you'll get lucky and get what they call enchiladas for breakfast, which is basically corn tortillas with powdered cheese folded over and a red sauce in the second of the third compartment. The third compartment's always empty. That's where you'll put your tortillas. And they deliver tortillas with just about every meal. Some days they'll serve cereal and you'll have cornflakes in one or sugar cornflakes, frosted flakes, in one compartment and your milk in the other. I hope you like the, the sound of slurping because that's all everybody does first thing in the morning. They either slurping their coffee slurping their cereal or slurping their cream of wheat. Whoever doesn't want to eat, which is typically me, I never eat breakfast because I don't really care for the food that they're serving. So I'm giving away my breakfast pretty much every morning. Sometimes you'll get lucky and they'll be delivering some pan, which is bread. These guys love bread. At first, I just start giving my stuff out. After a while, I would hold my stuff and give it to whoever I wanted to give it to. It's kind of like a currency that has no value, but it's more of doing somebody a solid. So if there's a guy that skinny, doesn't eat much, or one of my other friends in the cell, I just give it to them versus letting the first guy who grabs it take it, at least leaving the decision up to me as to who gets the food that I don't want. After you eat breakfast at 5 a.m., everybody pounds their vaso of coffee and then goes back to sleep. Me, I'm an early riser. Eddie's also a contractor and an early riser, and Julio likes to watch the news in the morning. So they'll typically turn the TV on with no volume and just watch the news. I might try to stay awake or try to go to sleep at this point. It depends on what's on the news. After a while, the news really wears you out because all there is on there is corruption, murders, kidnappings, and people getting held up at gunpoint on buses on a constant basis. There's something about the Mexican TV shows. They have one called El Extremo, 
which they show some pretty graphic video, surveillance video, of people either getting robbed, hurt, run over, killed, or what have you. Who knows? But they most certainly are desensitizing the population of Mexico because some of the things that I would see on El Extremo are pretty crazy. So that's my first day in South 305. From this point forward and the remainder of my stay, with exception of one week, you can find me in Coca 305.